Hey there, welcome to ATL and 29 of Peachtree Hoops podcast where we look at the NBA from the starting point of Atlanta. My name is Kevin Chenard. I'm here with Glenn Willis and we're recording late on a Monday night. So I guess in theory, three days before the NBA draft. Uh, I guess for starters, Glenn, how do you feel about the likelihood that the Hawks are trying to stay at, at number 20? Like, is, is this something that sort of fits their needs to pick in this spot? I think it does. Um, and not just because, you know, Travis has kind of nailed his two picks at 19, that being John Collins and Kevin Herter. Right. Um, but I, I've been half joking with people that I would rather um, be picking kind of in the 15 to 22 range than the 10 to 15 range. Um, I mean, the, there's a, a logic a fault in that on its face, right? You can pick who you want, right. the higher you are, right? But I think I think picking like in that 15 to 22 range is, is safer for a person that's trying to kind of keep a job that they're in. I think the optics <laughs> around that in terms of right. how much risk, risk taking and, and how acceptable it is to get a good role player, you know, a good kind of functional basketball player as opposed to kind of the closer you get 10 or if, you know, the way some people talk about it or look at it is if you draft in the lottery, you've got to get something more than that. I don't, my own philosophy is I don't believe that's true really, you know, but I, if, if it were me, when I look at the kind of a list of guys that I think could be available at 20, in my mind, there are some safer draft picks than the guys I see being projected kind of being up, in that 8, 9, 10, 11, 12 range. Um, it, part of that depends on where you are as, as a franchise. You know, are you still needing to find star power and, and upside and, you know, kind of trying to kind of, um, you know, take a, a few swings at getting a guy who might have the, the possibility of kind of reaching a star status? Well, that's going to work for you in that, you know, 7, 8, 9 range if you're not at the very top more than than being you know down towards 20 um but i just think they're the, i think this is a pretty underwhelming draft overall except that around you know 16 to 21 22 depending on you know what you're looking for they're just some good basketball players in that range and i think that for me i think that fits kind of what the hawks are, are looking to add they're not trying to find necessarily a a starter kind of solve a hole, you know, to fill a hole and to solve a gap that they have right now. You know, they're looking for depth and I think, and guys who can be, you know, reliable um, to develop into some sort of part of the NBA of their rotation, depending upon how the, you know, the cap sheet shakes out, who, who's on the roster a year from now, two years from now, you know, who can fit, you know, and, you know, onto the cap sheet and things like that. So I just think they're looking for, a good functional basketball player. And there are, um, I think will be a number of those available when they pick at 20, if they, if they stay there. And that seems like the right path to me, although you never know. You hinted at this already, but you know, what's the reasonable expectation for the type of player that you get at number 20 in terms of the size of the role that they would get? Is it like, you know, is, is, is ideally, can you get something like a fourth starter or should we be looking just somebody that 
can live in an NBA rotation and, and not struggle? Like what, what's, what's sort of a reasonable ceiling there? Yeah. I, you know, um, can you get a four starter? You know, part of that is who are the other four starters? Who are the other first, the first three starters, you know, in terms of how, um, how much talent is kind of packed into your top three guys in the pecking order? Are you the Nets? where you really don't need a lot from the fourth day, you know, as much as, you know, some other kind of average team or whatever. But I, I do think there are guys um, in that range that could develop into being starters. Uh, but I think that what's most encouraging potentially about that range is they are guys who seem like they would be fine being a sixth or seventh guy or an eighth guy on a good team or, you know, finding their way into a starting lineup. Now, when I look at this list, I'm not thinking yet about, you know, two or three years from now, these guys want to be kind of lining themselves up for, you know, a good payday. And that changes the way they see things. But I'm not, I think it's premature to kind of, you know, filter that in from a team building perspective. I think when, when you're picking at 20, I think the, the, the first part of whether you're, you've been successful or not is just getting that guy to a second contract. Right. I mean, let's kind of right. think back to um, like DeAndre Bembry was picked, you know, right around, you know, there. I think was he, was he picked like 19th? Does that sound right? Um, or 21st, somewhere right, right around there. Um, but, you know, he wasn't on the team by the time, you know, he was eligible for either an extension or the second contract. You know, right. I think it was, I think he was 21st. Um, and so, but I don't think that was like a huge bust. You know, I mean, you're, you're drafting guys that, you know, may work themselves into being solid rotation players and guys that, you know, may not, you know, and they're being drafted in that range because, um, you know, they probably have a, you know, an area or two where it's uncertain whether they're going to kind of figure it out or add to their game or whatever, whatever that is, you know. And so, you know, kind of the, the where the bar is set for me in terms of did you really um, maybe miss is that, can you get that guy to your second contract? I think that's more of a firm um, kind of part of assessment. If you're picking like 28, 29, 30, if you pick, if you're picking at the very end of the first round and you get that guy to a second contract, you've done well, in my view, in my view, around 20 is like, you certainly want to get them to that second contract. Um, but if it doesn't happen, I don't think that it's, you know, some great miss, you know, if you can turn that person into you know, a guy who could be in your eight or nine man rotation in the first, you know, second round of the playoffs, if you're a playoff team, I think you've done really well, you know, and I, and I think fans sometimes uh, don't have that um, broader perspective of kind of what the normal distribution of outcomes is for guys that are picked around there, you know, um, and so that, that to me is a way that I look at it is if you get a starter, you've done great. Uh, there's a lot of different uh, like I mentioned, there's a lot of different types of starters on a lot of different types of teams that makes that a little oversimplified, maybe. Um, but if you get a rotation player on, um, you know, on a, on a semi-serious playoff team at that part of the draft, I think you've done really well. As, as you list, look at the list of names of people that have been invited to the green room, who do you think in that group has the potential to fall to 20 and do, do any of them sort of fit what the Hawks would need? You're challenging my knowledge of the green room and by sleep, pull that up real quick. 
We'll give, you, um, we'll give you time for that one, sure. <laughs> uh, guys that could fall there. Um, let's see. So, if I'm looking at this list, so I go backward or forward. So, uh, Kentucky Ford Isaiah Jackson, I think, is sure to be there. Um, I don't see him. I haven't done gone as in depth of analysis on him because I, I don't really see him being a fit. But um, Zaire Williams. Um, is has been invited uh stanford uh guy uh sam bassini has him 15th espn has him 20th um uh jalen johnson um has been invited and who knows what he is <laughs> we can talk about him a little bit later but I, right. I think i think he'll probably be available at 20 Keon johnson could be available uh, at 20 only because um you know he's not um, this set of ball skills, I think, aren't quite what it would need to be to, for him to go a little higher in the draft. So those are three. Um, there's some chance – I mean, some people would say Corey Kispert, the um, Gonzaga forward, might get there, but I don't see that. Um, and then Kai Jones. Did you write about him for Peachtree Hoops? I did. Pl- plug I did. your stuff. And, and <laughs> why did you write about him if you don't think he's going to be there? Well, no, I, I wrote about him because um, from an editorial pr- process perspective, we tried to go broad enough to hit on every guy who might end up being on the board. Or if the Hawks, you know, I think you also have to think if the Hawks like see a guy at 15 or 16, might they want to use that OKC pick they have and go up a few spots and go get that person. And that, to me, that's more of where Kispert kind of fits in. Um, so for me, I think Jalen Johnson, I think I expect to be there. Kai Jones, probably 50, 50, um, Cameron Thomas, LSU guard, probably gone. I don't know. That, that's pretty close to 50, 50 immunity as well. Zaire Williams out of Stanford is unlikely, but not impossible. So those, that's the list of guys I would say in the green room could be on the board of the Hawks pick. And Keon Johnson. Yeah, that, that one too. Tennessee. So, with with Cameron Thomas, you know what, what sort of player are we looking at there? So he is probably the best kind of natural scorer um, in the in, possibly in this draft class. I would he's right up there. I mean. It's funny, when I've written about Lou Williams before, I don't remember when I wrote about him or why. Um, maybe it was when the trade happened and I wrote like a reaction. I, I can't remember. I'm old kid, but I can't remember all these things. But um, but like I use the term preternatural scorer. I've said about Lou Williams, he's been a preternatural scorer since he was in high school. And that's kind of what Cameron Thomas is. Now, he's really rough on defense and he's not uh, much of a passer um, he's not even that great of a shooter. His his perimeter shot, the form may have to be reworked a yeah, little bit. I was going to say, it's it's a little wonky. Tra- Travis doesn't usually yeah. get into the uh, the wonky releases. He, he kind of he – he's got some tilt. He, yeah, he, he, he does for sure. Um, but he just has this great instinct about getting the ball to go in the basket enough right. times a game, you know. He's yep. good at getting to the rim. He's good at creating contact and things like that. So, you know, that's that's interesting. He's an interesting player to me because offensive production has quite a bit of value in the league, just just even in a vacuum, you know. Um, but but is that what you want 
kind of next to or around Trey, that's pretty questionable to me. I'm not sure that this necessarily pertains to the Hawks situation, but we've got a new situation this year where not only are you trying to evaluate guys that come overseas and uh, guys who are coming out of college, but now we've got players coming out of the G League, like, how how do you take what they've done and their body of work and, and stack it against guys who have played in Euro League, smaller Euro, European leagues, uh, you know, versus NCAA stuff? Yeah, well, for Euro League, start with reading Graham Chapel. He he is our. Um, I mean, he contributes more than this for Peace for Hughes, but he's the guy we really lean on for our um, coverage of European uh, prospects. For example. Um, you know, a name that is dangerous to speak in these circles. I think he would still maybe is he did he did a phenomenal series on Luka Doncic when he was in that draft class. And you know, um, just as an example of his good work there. Um, and the, the the G League, I mean, there really is no shortage of opportunities just to watch those games, uh, like on YouTube or whatever, right. um, to kind of see those guys. Now, what kind of development environment are they in there? compared as, you know, contrasted to, like, college, it's hard to know because that Ignite, um, you know, program is so new. Uh, And I even made some notes, you know, the guys at the top of the draft class that are coming out of there are, um, you know, Kaminga, Jalen Green, and Jonathan Kaminga. And both of them basically are defensive zeros (laughs) right now. And one one of the notes I made was, did they get challenged to play defense? You know, you'd think in a, in a setting where there's NBA coaches, you know, kind of built into that team, that there would be more accountability around aspects of the game. Like, But then I had to kind of remind myself that this is a new business venture for the league that they want to be successful. And if, you know, the two top guys that went into that program, you know, <laughs> had a miserable experience, that would not be good for the, <laughs> for yeah. the sustainability of that yeah. business. So maybe they were a little soft and, and not yeah. so hard on those guys, you know. I mean, they're, you know, they're teenagers anyway. So, you know, going in. But, um, but you know, I, I think from the G League, it's – I think you would – I think the biggest benefit to NBA teams from guys that went into that G League program mm-hmm. – was just how much intel because those coaches are a part of the NBA kind of coaching community, and and I think that um, that's easier to have intel pass back and forth that way than when you have like a college coach who's really trying to con- trying to control information in some cases mm-hmm. to pr- to protect the reputation of the program or or, or to kind of get their guy drafted as high as they can because it, that work, that helps them in uh you know recruiting uh, down the road so there's all sorts of different dynamics and factors but um you know I, I do think you know for example when we hear that detroit at one point and maybe they still are is seriously debating Cade cunningham versus you know um jaylen green it's like well that's when i ask myself like well you know, what do i do with kind of the body of work i've been able to put my eyes on around jaylen green versus all of the Cade cunningham we were all able to watch this year you know if we wanted to and that's interesting, <laughs> you know. Uh, Kate is a lot more polished, for sure. Uh, where Green is kind of a conceptual player, but a phenomenally dynamic uh, athlete who is, you know, has good hand-eye coordination. And if if he could be developed from a skill standpoint, 
I mean, not crazy to think that he could be the best, you know, player in this draft looking back like five years later or whatever. So I'm not sure if I answered your question there. <laughs> Hopefully oh, I... That's fine. And now I, I want to backtrack because you mentioned Graham uh, when you were mentioning EuroLeague and it, it made me want to segue. I, I want to know more about Usman Garuba <laughs> because he looks like an unbelievable defender. Now I know he's going mm-hmm. to be a, a, a minus on the other end, but Right. <laughs> I think yeah. I think he's going to be a stopper. He, and and I funny. think he's you know I think he's got an I think he may have enough on offense just like the awareness to get the ball to the right place, mm-hmm. not make mistakes, you know, take the occasional jumper like he might be okay and then just on defense just ooh. <laughs> right. Yeah, I mean I I I sort of hate doing this especially when you're talking about guys who won a defensive player of the year, but he, he just size frame activity, intensity, information processing and real time decision-making He, I mean, when you watch him play, he just looks like Draymond Green. I was going to say he looks like tall Tony Allen, like, (laughs) (laughs) which I guess is just a different thing, but I mean, he's just, I don't know. Like, yeah, he, he for, maybe it's Draymond's like more cerebral. Like he, and of course he's got the unbelievable frame. Like he's you know, right. the wingspan and and the intelligence. And he, Garub is just I don't know. I mean, I, it's not like I'm not trying to put him up to Draymond. Like I just, it right. just seems different. Like I, I just think he's quicker. Like, I guess that's the biggest thing. Yeah, yeah. I think I think he trends more towards playing more time at the wing rather than I, I think he could get shifted up, especially as he gets a little older and stronger right. and and has his you know skills um you know refined and just gets better. I mean he's gonna get better at what he does. He's gonna get you know more experience, etc. I think he spends the time at the four and five. I don't think he becomes sort of that guy who unlocks, you know, um, you know, the um what they call the, the, the lineup, uh, the death lineup, um, the death line. Yeah, I don't. I don't think he's going to be a guy that kind of slides to the five, and you know, and unlocks this death lineup in the way that Draymond did. Yeah, Although I think probably not the rebounder for that. I just right. Yeah. But but I th- but I I think when I watch him play, that he is very cerebral. You know, I don't think we'll know if he's at the Draymond level until he's put into an environment that challenges him to the level we've seen Draymond. And that, yeah, you, you know, know, saying somebody's not Draymond Green, I don't mean that he's not cerebral. I think, like, Draymond Green's, like, the most cerebral. Right, for sure. <laughs> but but well, what I'm saying is that for where he is now as a draft prospect, right. he is off the chart in terms of information processing yes. and decision-making as a defender sure. and things like that. So it just – I'm not saying he's going to be Draymond Green. Right. I'm saying if, there, if there's a, a player who may be – or may get on a trajectory to kind of get to that level, he's showing a lot more of that than his peers, you know, kind of on that end of the court. And I think you're right. Offensively, can he just be kind of a good connecting player, you know, screens, smart screens, good awareness of setting screens, moving, you know, passes, keeping the ball moving, things like that. I I, I think that that's all kind of there. So I think, I think he's a, one of the most fascinating players in, in this draft. I think, I think he's projected to go around, you know, like 10, 11, 12, I think on most boards, which, you know, that, that's a thing where, uh, you know, you're, I think you're as a team taking him, you're totally fine. 
you know, unless a guy that goes, you know, one, two, three picks behind them really, really hits. <laughs> and then you have to worry about kind of the optics of that. But, I mean, you can't play defense when you're drafting, in my view. You have to kind of take the guy that um, you believe is the right one for you. But that's not how job security works sometimes. <laughs> um, I'm going I'm to put two questions out there at once because just because I feel like the answer yep. might – be the same i don't know maybe not they could be widely uh disparate but i one question is who do you want to talk about as somebody that's interesting to you at number 20 and then second if you're a hawks fan what's sort of the you know the scenario if they stay at 20 what's the what's the scenario that a hawks fan should be rooting for well i mean it's part of that depends on what kind of fan you are you know if you want (laughs) Like flashy players, highlights, you know, um, you know, exciting plays, which is a totally fine kind of fan to be. Then you probably don't want Corey Kispert or <laughs> you know the you know those types. Um, you know, Trey Murphy is probably not the guy for you, even though he's a pretty dynamic uh, jumper and dunker. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, um, you know, and stuff. So, but like you know, Zaire Williams is just. I mean, he, Zaire Williams as an athlete and a guy who has, you know, the suggestion of kind of the ball skills, a set of ball skills that could really move him to be one of the better ball, uh, one of the better players in this draft down the line. Um, but that's a top three, top four athlete that is not the kind of guy who's in this range because he can't do anything. You know, when you watch him shoot, like the percentage is not good. But when you watch him shoot, you say, you know, like that's well, that's workable." You know, I don't know, I don't know why it's not going in more. You know, to be honest with you, but his ability to be, you know, six six eight with a six ten wingspan, um, you know, that's a big wing, and he has a pretty impressive dribble package and can take guys off the dribble. And and it's it's not like he's awesome at any one thing. But he's good enough at kind of all of those things around, you know, general wing, when you think about wing creators, probably not being the primary creator, but what he could do as a secondary creator, if that part of his game kind of comes along, plus how dynamic he is defensively and how good of an athlete. I mean, Zaire Williams would be an exciting, you know, in my mind, exciting uh, type of prospect. And, you know, you and I have talked before about how, and I think it's mostly been you making the point that a Conglu playing with like Lonzo Ball and Lamelo Ball and such, you know, kind of helped him, you know, um, have to learn how to kind of share the floor with other advanced players. You know, Zaire Williams, um, you know, played with Zaire Wade and Ronnie James and Brandon Boston, you know, on one of the best high school teams uh, in the country. He was perceived, I think, uh, all along as being the best player on that team. Um, you know, and he probably is still the, you know, viewed as being pretty, pretty well above Brandon Boston and this who's also who's also in this draft class that I read about him as well um but that's a guy who like you know when when Hawks fans see Cam Reddish do something that like not a lot of players in the league can do the defensive um disruptor the guy who can get the transition and do something exciting guy who can make a wild play at an important part of a game that's the kind of stuff that Zaire Williams could potentially kind of grow to do the second guy I would throw out there probably is Kai Jones, the mm-hmm. young center out of Texas, yeah. um, who is a phenomenal athlete at 6'10", like I think 7'1", you know, wingspan, can run the floor, plays hard. I mean, you can see the room running, just kind of 
right there from day one, you know, but, and so there's a lot of flashy type of potential there as well to make big plays as blocks running, you know, you can see him making a block, running the floor, catching the ball and dunking it and just kind of having an arena kind of come unglued over kind of a sequence of plays. That's the kind of, kind of things that he is, but you know, the, the little thing to kind of keep an eye on with him is like, does he believe he's a center, you know, or he looks, he reminds me a little bit of like, you know, Jaron Jackson, who I still think is a little mad. He grew with be as tall as he is because he'd prefer to be a small forward, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and, and you know, wants to do kind of wings, more wing stuff. And I'm not sure like Darren Jackson has ever kind of fully bought into, you know, kind of being a five or, a, or a four that's prioritizing, protecting the rim, rebounding the ball and all that sort of stuff. So with Kai Jones, I think you have to kind of know a little bit about that, but in terms of a, you know, getting, you know, seeing exciting stuff, wild plays that not many players they can make. Those are probably the two that jump out of me there. If you're looking for someone who can help the team right away, I think, you know, Jared Butler is the perfect guy for that, was uh, just an awesome player on that championship team. Yeah. Uh, Baylor can do, can do everything reasonably well. Um, the one thing he does excellently is shoot the basketball, you know, both off the catch and off the dribble. Um, and he's a phenomenal team defender and on ball defender. You, know, you wonder how much his size is going to work. He's not the biggest guy. How much his size is going to kind of how much positional versatility he'll have on defense. Um, you know, Trey Murphy, just the the size and the shooting, kind of the classic three and D view around him as well as a guy who you can you know probably throw in there and get some some contribution um, in a small role right away. So it just kind of depends on you know there are other guys, but the, you know those are players that are on both ends of the spectrum for me is Ira Williams and Kai Jones being like, Oh my gosh, what the, you know, you know on sports center if for plays they're making. And then guys like, um, you know, Butler and Murphy and Butler's way ahead of Murphy, in my view, by the way, I'm not putting them at the same level, right. um, you know, being able to kind of be thrown out there and contribute right, right away, but maybe not make, you know, those kind of splashy plays all in all. We mentioned Butler, and so you're just cherry-picking my questions before I can ask them. But uh, <laughs> is, is the solution to the Hawks' backup point guard situation there at 20 if they want it? Yeah, I, I think he's um, would be a trustworthy backup point guard, which is mostly, I think, what teams want. You know, I, I think sometimes when we think about the Hawks, we, it'd be nice to see a guy who can run the pick-and-roll um, and um, kind of continue um, a certain level of performance running the pick and roll in the tray. And, that, and, and Trey sets the bar so high there, it's just impossible to think about what a backup <laughs> kind of doing that right. would do. But I, I, I think he would be a trustworthy guy to run the offense. I think especially if you're going to do something like if DeAndre Hunter is going to end up being kind of a focal point of your second unit offense or something like that, mm-hmm. Butler's versatility works great. You know, with that kind of that kind of model in my view, but he's also so good and so useful on the ball and off the ball that he can back up Trey. He can play with Trey. He can be uh, you know part of a defensive lineup when you're trying to close out games when you have the lead. You know, I think I think he's good enough with the ball that if Trey's getting taken out of the play, he can kind of come in and attack and create. You know, as the secondary guy on the court with Trey. And to me, it's you're getting. And got a Butler, a guy who, you know, in my mind, for a guy who might be available at that level, at that point in the draft, who I think is 
has as much starter potential as all but maybe four or five, six guys in this draft box. Oh. I mean, he's that solid, you know, yeah. um, as a fourth or fifth starter, you know, that kind of type. Um, and so I, in my mind, if Butler's there, they have to take him. That's that's like the first guy on my Hawks board for who might be. And I, I don't know how realistic it is that he's actually there because I think right. guys like him are so, you know, so valued, the versatility, especially once you get past like 15, you know, yep. and, and the draft and stuff like that. But if he's there, that's, you know, that's that's the thing um, to take. But I, I do think he could handle all of your backup point guard minutes without embarrassing you and without hurting the team in his rookie season. Uh, and then growing his role into like playing with Trey and, you know, potentially closing some games, but that's even a possibility in the second half of his rookie year. And that that's what's pretty attractive about him to me. Uh, it, so, so we put him one with a star. Uh, is, is there any other player that is, is a, a patch to that problem? Well, I mean, I'm, so we probably should hit on three right. Cooper real quick, right? Okay. I mean, we probably need to hit on their point guards. So man. I'm not what's, – what's that? And man? Yeah, man. I, I'm the last guy I'm riding on from Eastern Hoops is Trey Mann. So okay. um, that'll probably be published on Wednesday, I'm guessing. But okay. Sharif Cooper, in my mind, has a lot of gaps. Um, okay. And so – I think he's I think he's fine to draft and try to work as into your backup point guard uh, role like year two or three. I think he struggles so much at the rim. He did so in college, um, and he's just not enough of a shot maker. And then he's you know you wonder how his lack of size will work out in his first year in the league. I'm I'm like generally bullish on him because I think he's such a good competitor, and he's just a guy who's gonna figure it out. I don't know if that means it's a starter. But I think he's going to be able to play on good teams down the line. But, you know, that's that's not going to give you, in my mind, I wouldn't draft him and pencil him into backup point guard on a spot on a team that's aiming to really do something this year. That's just – that's not um, practical to me. Um, okay. Trey, Trey Mann is, in my mind, a lot more dynamic than uh, Cooper – and I, 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 the more I watch man, the more I like him. I've really been digging in more about he's the last guy. He has a good tempo. Phenomenal tempo, phenomenal dribble package, can manipulate defenders, can manipulate multiple defenders. Um, is really good in the pick and roll. You can't go under on him. He's too good pulling uh, the perimeter shot when you go under on him. His passing is not what you'd like it to be. I mean, but when I say his passing is not what you'd like it to be, I'm almost accidentally, like, crossing over into talking about him as a starter, (laughs) you know, in the league. And and he's good good enough that I think he will be a starter in in the league and and a solid starter, if not a good starter in the league down the line. I really believe in him. Um, but if you watch enough of his, um, you know, uh, sample from this last season, you see the flashes of passing now and then. And Florida ran this kind of wonky kind of offense where they would, if you've ever watched like college football games where the quarterback gets the line of scrimmage, then everybody looks at the sideline to get the play call and they <laughs> hold up like 18 different signs with 25 Uh-oh. different pictures on, you know, all well, Florida would get the ball across half court. Half it seemed like half the time. Maybe maybe it's not quite that much. And then look over at the bench and ask what kind of play they want to, the coach wants them to run. Then they call the play, 
and then they get it, and it, it honestly felt like I was watching a college football game. But it happened. And Trey Mann needs to be able to kind of just go and attack and get into the flow and get into his rhythm and manipulate his defenders and get his team into good situations. And he was just really never able to do that because of the, the way that the, the team was coached in that system. So I think that held him back a lot. And I think in some ways that impacted, um, you know, how, you know, how prescriptive he had to be uh, in terms of run this play, you know, the first option is this, the second option is this, as opposed to him just kind of doing a lot of what he did as a high school and, and as you know, in the AAU circuit in the, you know, sneaker circuit where he was always considered like a top five ish guy um, that was, had just phenomenal um, kind of potential with the ball. And I just felt like the, the situation for got just kind of choked that all out of him. And so to be honest with you, I, I you know, when I think about could the Hawks take Trey Man at 20, I wouldn't be disappointed that I'm like that high on him, even though most outlets are project him more in the early second round. Um, but I just think those evaluations are too low. Um, now, could, if, if I'm a Travis, I'm probably thinking like, how do I get a different guy at 20 and then try to maybe move up to 48 high enough to get, you know, Trey Mann, um, you know, in the early second round, if, if that's something he can make happen, that seems like may, maybe you're being greedy. <laughs> I don't know, maybe just take the guy. But I would, you know, after Butler, and you kind of look at all the different, you know, kind of point guard options, like is, you know, in the second round, is Bones Highland, is he a point guard? You know, I, not not for what the NBA needs from the position in my mind, you know, and I am not, you know, Cam Thomas is not a point guard, you know. So, you know, for me, if they're looking for a point guard, if Butler is gone, my next guy probably is Trey Mann, even though, like, if they took him at 20, like all of these like draft grades will probably ding them pretty hard for taking them higher than they needed to. That's uh, silliness. Yeah. Uh, there are players in the draft like Josh Giddy, Moses Moody, yeah. uh, Primo. You know, they're 18 years old, and you've got guys like Chris Duarte. We're almost 24. <laughs> How are we supposed to compare these kinds of players? Like Duarte looked like a 24-year-old playing in college. Right. He he did, but what he is, he's if you kind of look into his background and study up, you know, what he is was what he is now is kind of what he's been for a while. Okay. You know, you know he was um like the way he was raised, he was like aware and attentive to his diet, like from a pretty early age, stuff like that. Okay. Um, and so, you know, in my mind, it's like, oh, oh, for sure, he's going to be more professionally ready than a 19 year old. Well, it's not just that. You know, right. if you if you re- if you read into his background, it, that's not only because of maturity and the fact that he's older. That's kind of been part of his approach for you know for for a while. Um, you know, I think for me is like the obvious thing with Duarte is you know, how much more improvement can you expect? You know, um, he's probably that, you know, 95% the athlete who's ever going to be at 24, sure. you know, you know, whatever that is, where some of these other guys might still grow and for sure will get stronger and for sure will get more coordinated and, you know, things as they get used to their, their bodies and, you know, their length and all that sort of stuff where with him, it's like, okay, 
um, we're probably getting what we what we get on day one and not expecting a ton more or a ton different in year two year three um but i i think he's just a great guy to have on your team <laughs> you know um mm-hmm. where where does that warrant him getting drafted i think that's an interesting debate you know but i think sort of at, at, the end of, at, at one level i think part of this is just getting good players you know and he's a good player is I mean, what what kind of role could you see for someone like him in the NBA? Like, is he? I think I think I think he's a bench. I think he's probably on a really good team of bench. You know, uh, bench guard. Um, you know, I mean, but I say that, but then you look at a guy like, um, I mean, not not that it's a comp, but like. Like a guy like CJ McCollum, when he came into the league, like, was he ever really viewed as a guy who would, you know, be knocking on the door, being an all-star, playing next to one of the best point guards in the league, you know, right. and holding his own and doing his job? You know, that's a question, you know. Um, and could he kind of get onto a trajectory where he's not necessarily kind of growing as an athlete and all that sort of stuff, but he's just getting better and better and adding to his game the way that guys often do until they're, you know, you know, 26, 27, 28 in some ways, you know, so, but, but his um, kind of a, approach to the way he manages himself um, and how kind of professionalized he is just generally as a player would lead me to think kind of that type of growth is possible for him. But I, but I, um, you know, I, I think that comes with, I think some people will over some, I'd say high floor, uh, but I mean, he's such a good shooter and has other kind of offensive value. A lot of um, offensive polish, right? He right. can get to like different places. Like he, he's not just scoring on the perimeter or just scoring at the rim, right? Yeah, and uh, and the, and the then, passing's there. Yeah, it is, and there's not a lot of passing in this draft. Like these guards in this draft are not <laughs> the most willing passers as a group, you know. Right. Um, but uh, so there's just a lot there, and then when I think too about uh, it's it's interesting to kind of how much like the way we watch the finals impacts how we look at this draft class. That's way, like if, if I'm dragging too much of what I took away from the finals into the way I look at this draft class, I'm, I'm doing it wrong. <laughs> Cause that's, I mean, that's, that's so far down the line, right. In terms of any player. Um, but like you see a lot of teams have had success the last five, six years, you know, working three guard lineups into their second unit, you know, and things right. like that. And, and his versatility to kind of make a lot of different kinds of lineups work. I think that's where a lot of his value comes from. He can play, you know, next to a point guard. who's like, say a Trey style point guard. who's going to be on the ball all the time and know what to do and know how to help, know how to support that. Um, if he needed to share some creation, um, you know, responsibility, he can do that. So a little bit like uh, Jared Butler, who's, you know, um, I guess, I guess going to go behind, go after, um, Duarte does. We'll see if that actually happens. But, um, but you know, kind of plug and use that versatility. And you know, like for the Hawks, like if by some, like if let's say they had to move up to get Duarte, you know, or if they were able to take Butler, either of those scenarios, and they're different players. I don't want to make talk about them like they're the same player. But right. you know, if if they can keep her or not keep her, or if they can. You know, if if they are like, well, well, we have Bogdanovich, so we're not able to pay her to kind of make that make sense. You know, hypothetically, or 
if Hunter, right. Hunter, whatever reason, keeps having knee issues, right? Um, you know, these versatile players uh, have give you so open up the number of paths you can take positionally with the position that they play. Uh, and that has a ton of value. And that that's what I see as being the strength of the um, group of players that are likely to be available, say, at 15. I want to take you back because I made you answer two questions at once before. And I'm not <laughs> sure you fully got to answer the one. Um, yeah. Is there anybody that you want to talk about that we haven't talked about? Uh, I mean, I should hit on, um, you know, Kispert. I mean, I wrote about him. I don't think he'll be there, but um, he'll enter the league. I mean, he might enter the league as one of the 10, 12 best shooters in the league day one. And he's just a smart, a useful player has some defensive challenges, but, you know, um, but I mean, he could, could be like, um, you know, a Corver level shooter. That's not, I won't, I don't want to call that a likely outcome because that's like Corver is one of the best shooters in the history <laughs> of the league. Right. But, but he, his form and his ability to shoot on the move is a, a real outlier. Um, so mm-hmm. we talked about Kai Jones a little bit. So I think we did good there. Keon Johnson also played at Tennessee, just an absolute like defensive, um, you know, bulldog. Just, I mean, it, it's he's a he's pretty limited offensively right now, um, but his standing vertical was at the combine was forty one and a half, and his max vertical was forty eight. <laughs> it's just ridiculous, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the way he he plays hard and intensely, and, and I can see that being attractive to a lot of teams. He doesn't fit the quote pass dribble shoot, you know, kind of tip with that. I don't right. know if that's actually a thing that the Hawks are working from, but, um, but there was this what when you watch so much like, you know, uh, you know, game film, if I could use that word film on these guys and things that jump out at you, there, there was a play Kevin where Keon was came down to try to take a charge uh, and he came off of his guy and came into the path of a ball handler to try to take a charge. And the ball handler had the body control to not ever make contact with him and went to shoot the ball over Keon. And Keon went from being in a posture trying to take a charge to just jumping and blocking the <laughs> shot. <laughs> Did you right. happen to see that play this year? No. no oh, my no. God. It, it's like, who does that? That's that's just unheard of. Uh, now, now, and so he's, you know, if you want to talk about defensive highlights, he's got to be in that group of people that you talk about in this draft class. Um, but, you know, he's like, I think, six, three and a half, you know. Can he play reliably against, you know, the bigger wings and the league? You know, I think he probably does in time, but he's small enough, just small enough. You have to ask yourself that question. Um, and then, you know, uh, I think we had on everybody else. I, I mentioned Bones Highland. We talked about Kim Thomas. Uh, probably the other guys that fans might be curious about is um, – Miles McBride is a point guard um, uh, from West Virginia. I wrote about him. Um, not at all a pick and roll style point guard, but has a lot of other constructive stuff. I wrote that he could do a lot of stuff like that Jamal Murray does, you know, off of, um, you know, Jokic and like that maybe work off of like do some like Duncan Robinson stuff working off of BAM where they're lifting into a lot of DHOs and doing things like that. So I don't think he's the greatest Hawks fit, except that he's really good defensively. And then the last guy is Jalen Johnson, um, the the Duke player who opted out uh, pretty early in the season, I think. Um, yeah. Who I who I don't know if you know much about him, but 
I watched him play, and I'm like, <laughs> I, this is the note I wrote. When I watched Jalen Johnson play basketball, I feel like I'm watching, do you remember this show, Kevin, Battle of the Network Stars? Yeah, I'm old enough. And, and it feels like I'm watching an athlete from a different sport play basketball. <laughs> and the battle of the Network Stars, and he's kicking everybody else's butt. Because he's like, and you're like, oh, this like pole vaulter is really good at basketball or, or is decent at basketball, but he's playing against Mike like, Conley's dad back- was on Battle of the Network Stars <laughs> was and, and was yeah. a decent basketball player himself. <laughs> yeah. And so, I mean, he, he looks like like a sprinter or some sort of track and field athlete, uh, you know, that's like running up and down the court, long strides and stuff. And, but like I said, he looks like a guy who's not a basketball player playing basketball you know, in a, against non-basketball players and kind of just, and like, oh, he's pretty good for a not-basketball player. Right. <laughs> and so I would, I would, I would stay away from him, but yeah, I felt like we should kind of, kind of mention, mention him, but that, that's the list of guys that I have. I think Zaire Williams would be a, was like an exciting get. I think Jared Butler would be a really, have a lot of utility. I think Trey Murphy would be, you know, have, you know, be serviceable in a lot of ways and maybe be able to kind of grow into more of a creator down the road. I think Kispert would be uh, amazing, useful right away. Kai Jones, again, exciting. Um, can, can he embrace being a center? Um, you know, Jaden Springer, I don't think we talked about him. Also out of Tennessee, you know, just another kind of uh, innate scorer, but not a great shooter and lacking some of the other things. We hit on Keon Johnson, the defensive bulldog, a phenomenal athlete. Talked about Sharif and Miles McBride. We just hit up Baylor Johnson, Cam Thomas, Trey Mann. That's 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 my list. And I think I think we got to all of those. Yeah, I don't want to get into the whole Bradley Beal buzzsaw, even if <laughs> somehow deep in my gut, like it doesn't feel like the Hawks are married to twenty. Like it's it almost seems like even odds that they just do something different or they do some sort of trade or something. But right. Uh, I just want to read this tweet, and I'm sure it's it's made the rounds, but I'm going to read it verbatim so that we can discuss. So, so this is a Jonathan Giveney tweet. Uh, NBA executives say they expect the Hawks to explore restarting the cycle of one of their rookie-scale contract players, such as Cam Reddish, in exchange for a first-round pick, as it seems unlikely they'll be able to pay all of their young wing players. Uh Okay, and so first, you know, we, we've got to source that NBA executives. So that means it's this is something that's coming from outside the Hawks, and it's they expect. So it's not necessarily something that they've heard in their own conversations with the Hawks. It just sounds like you know they're 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 ready for it to happen. They haven't seen any of it or heard any of it, but they're. You know they're they're looking at the balance sheet and saying, "Oh, okay, yeah, something's got to happen here." Uh, wh- what do you think about this? Yeah, well, I mean it it makes sense from a process standpoint. I guess in some ways, if you're not wanting to have kind of all of your guys hit restricted free agency around the same time or hit extension eligibility around the same time, right? Um, on the other hand, you know, you and I talked about when we were reflecting back on the finals, you know, I, at least I talked about how the Hawks need to get more experience, not less. If it, you know, if they want to be serious exactly. about this year and next right. year. And so that, in my mind, that that's a, 
different, you know, objective than that part, that part, that specific thing would not, um, if it's the first round draft pick and not like Bradley Bill type, um, that, that to my mind is making them less experienced. Although, I mean, you could, but you could ask yourself with like how much time Cam Reddish has missed is like, how, you know, depending on who you get, like a Butler or Duarte or whatever, you know, are you really losing that much experience? There's probably something in that area to kind of talk yourself into the fact you're not really losing that, but um, that much. But in, in my mind, it doesn't make sense in terms of making them better this year. Uh, it may make sense into um, kind of creating uh, a bit of an extension to the window where you're still trying to kind of bring as much um, kind of talent into the, 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 the roster experiments <laughs> as you can and, and get and think more four or five years out than, than right now for a lot of their guys there in a one to two year window. So, you know, it, it does buy some time on having to kind of uh, make a decision to commit to, you know, some of your core players uh, versus, um, you know, having a little more flexibility, which that, that would offer. But in my mind, that doesn't, that in no way, shape or form, you know, apart from some real unexpected things that make them better this year. Yeah, I'm with you. I just don't think that, that getting younger, I mean, it makes sense on, on the balance sheet, but it just seems like, they they need more experience that, that yep. if anything it's it's something different. Uh my expectation would be something more along the, the consolidate your assets sort of play or even just sort of split like uh you know trade one of your your uh you know your your players that's getting the near the end of their first contract, you know, trade them for a veteran and a future pick or something, you know, and it, you know, right. you're going to have to do some salary manipulation or what to make that work. So other pieces involved, other teams and whatnot, but it doesn't to just hit the reset button. Just, just, it just doesn't really jive. Like it just doesn't seem, I don't know. I, it doesn't make sense to me uh, on paper. I don't know. It, it didn't sound right. Something seems slightly off there and, and I don't know quite how to stick my thumb on it and, and hit the, the bullseye, but yeah. I don't know. It just seems a little yeah. off. Yeah. It, well, and you have to kind of sometimes ask yourself, you know, what's the down, source? What's the motivation? Yeah. 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 Who, who wanted that out there and why, and, <laughs> you know, yeah. it, I mean, it's like, if like it's you know the hypothetical like if listeners can't quite you know connect the dots because we're not doing a good job connecting the dots yet, so I'm not gonna put it on the listeners. Um, like if the Hawks have Cam Reddish and DeAndre Hunter and Kevin Herter, and another team wants to make it appear as though they're in that market, so you need to come forward with like young players that are like Herter or like Reddish. Like we're not gonna give you you know this draft pick for a guy who's lesser than those guys are perceived to be. Sometimes it helps a team that's trying to cultivate a market to drag a team of a specific profile into that market to make it look more the way that that team that's trying to sell wants the market to look like, if that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. And Cam Reddish is close. Like, uh, like I, I, Obviously, I believe in Cam Reddish's defense. I, I believe in his jump shot. Like, I, I think it's good. I think it's just a matter of, you know, on-the-ball decision-making. 
and, and comfort level and repetition. And I don't know. (laughs) I'm not not sure that I'd be ready to give up on that quite yet. Right. Right. I mean, it's like how many Cam Reddishes are there in this draft class? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You look at this, this, this pool and it's like, yeah, where would, where would, uh, you know, Cam, who's only 21, if, if he, if he plays three seasons at Dukes or something like that, you know, and he was in the draft, you know, where would he go? <laughs> right. And like, and like, that's like Zaire Williams kind of fits a little bit of the camera template where he did play on the ball a lot prior to getting to Stanford and was um, viewed as a guy who can, you know, create as a wing and all that sort of stuff. Um, yeah. I, Hawks fans will get mad when I say that, but like, you know, that's, there's like one of those, <laughs> you know, once you get past the lottery and he may right. even go to the lottery probably, right. Right. you know, so be, yep. be careful, be careful, be careful who you uh, send, send out and, and be aware of how hard it is to get that kind of uh, potential. Um, and then also a guy who has put, you know, for all the jokes that some people want to make about Cam Reddish, you know, uh, people, a lot of that is people who cover other teams that aren't the Hawks or whatever. Um, you know, he has put a lot of it together already yeah. to the point where he can help this team for sure. Oh yeah. And, and maybe there's more to come, not too far down the road, you know? Yeah. All right. Well, uh, and any last thoughts or do we, we cover what you wanted to cover here? Yeah. We, well, I got to, uh, my notes here. I, I think I got <laughs> my general view out on everybody. So, you know, I, I, I'm, most years I'm kind of going in on one player or two players and kind of hoping that works out. I'm not, that's not where I am. I mean, I think Jared, I, I'm kind of there with Jared Butler, just how much you would help right away. Uh, I would probably kind of be there with Kispert too, except that I don't think he's going to be available. I think Butler is right. to be there, but I, yep. I'm, I, I see a lot of different, you know, kind of exciting possibilities in this group of players. I've talked like Trey Mann would be fun, you know, and yeah. Kai Jones would be fun, you know, for sure what they end up being. So I'm just kind of excited to see what happens. I'm not overly invested in any one or two players, and I, I think that makes it more fun. Yeah, well, we, we, I guess we agreed with more than I was expecting. <laughs> um, That's because we didn't talk about Book Knight. <laughs> okay. No, yeah. I, he, no, he, no. He's a <laughs> no reason to. I'm just joking because he's like a controversial right there are a lot of different views on a, on a player like him and we didn't get to anybody who uh kind of is more like that i, I don't think so That's so <laughs> uh, re- reiterate your plug on the peachtree hoops draft series one more time yeah so i i've gotten um mcbride out kispert out do 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 uh, everybody uh, don't just do you too to ex- explain what's there our most of our listeners have probably been through but just in case for the for the ones who haven't you mean don't just, just the whole series? Dude. Well, what's the, what's the concept? Oh. You know what's what's available? Oh, yeah, well, yeah. The, the the concept is basically anybody you know who is kind of projected to potentially be post lottery available post lottery, okay. and I think that's how Zach could our our editor has been gearing it. Uh, so like you know, the, there's a European guys that you know could end up going in the lottery, but you know the Europeans are the hardest ones to kind of pin down in terms of where, where they're where they're actually being valued stuff. So you know, some ways went a little broader than that, um, but I, I would be shocked if the Hawks take any player at 20 we haven't written about. 
Um, and I think that even we have a few days to go. And like my trade man piece, like I said, I think it's going to hit on Wednesday, um, I believe. But there's there's like some of the guys who are um, some of the most intriguing possible picks for the Hawks kind of are still coming out all the way. We might even be still putting out one on Thursday morning itself, <laughs> just depending on how many more we have to go and things like that. So yeah, check cool. out, check out, check out the whole series. It's, I, I, I think we do um, for, for guys that aren't full-time draft evaluators. I, I think we do. I'm as proud of our work as, as, as uh, any work I've seen out there, um, you know, uh, you know, and no one would want to kind of try to measure themselves up to guys who do this as their full-time thing all year long. You know, like I read like Sam Bassini, like, in depth and rely on that as I sort of use his work as my baseline, if that makes sense. And as a sanity check of my own work, if that makes sense, you know, and things like that. So, you know, I I never want to feel like I'm ever saying like, you know, look at my stuff over someone who puts in that much effort and time, you know, things like that. Um, But in terms of us in the work that we do collectively to cover the prospects that, um, you know, are expected to potentially be in range for where the Hawks are picking, we hit on all of them and i think we did great work yeah it's a good series all right good explanation and uh thank you for joining us for this episode and i appreciate your time sir thank you Kevin. have a good night and you yeah.